the Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 46, Prevention Before Reaction. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey Kyle, what's up? Hey Ben, what's going on my man? It is another episode of the Beer EDU Pod. We are episode number 46? 046 we are up to. Yes, alright, so we are recording uh, right now and um how have you been? Uh, doing all right. Um, right now, as we're recording this, I am sitting in this mega huge, ridiculous suite at the Pepper Mill in Reno, where my parents are at. And I am basically, if, if it doesn't look like I'm looking at you much during this recording on our video today, it's because I get to see pretty much the whole city from this suite right now. So I'm just kind of admiring downtown and everything from where I'm at. Well, and I'm wondering, like, when I look at you, I'm like, all I see is these giant red curtains, and I don't even know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, like I said, the uh, the suite is a little extravagant, and they're like these, I don't know if you'd call them velvet curtains, but th- it's pretty ridiculous. We'll just say well, that. You know what's funny is it sounds really good. Maybe we should get some of those when we record more often. That, like, or we'll maybe we should just see if we can record in this suite. There we go. This I, is like a, I, I, I can handle this as a podcast studio. But there we go. There we go. So, hey, so since this is a beer ADU, what are you drinking, my friend? Well, I, I mentioned this last episode, and I liked it so much, I went back to Lead Dog and got more of it, and that is the Spiced Pumpkin Ale. And yes. I First of all, like I said last episode, you know, very subtle on the pumpkin spice. It's not that overpowering, like, cinnamon and clove bomb that so many of them are. Uh, very subtle. Uh, probably my favorite aspect of this beer is the ABV. It is 6.66% on the ABV. And it is 23 IBU. So a very good beer for the fall and for the devilishly good time that we have coming up with Halloween here pretty soon. Yes, for sure. I need to. So did you get another growler? I did. Okay. Okay. Because I haven't seen that one. They haven't, they're not canning that one because I have some lead dog stuff in my house, but I haven't seen that one. No, and I don't anticipate them in canning this one just because it's such a short-lived one. So you definitely need to go down to the brewery itself. Or I feel like when I did the untapped search for it, there's a couple of the local taverns here in Reno that are having it on tap right now. But your best bet is just go down to the brewery because you can go there, then walk next door to Black Rabbit Mead, and then walk over to the depot, and then Pigeon Head and Imbiber around the corner too. So you can just make a day of it. There we go. That's a great spot. Yes, indeed. So, all right, you've got beer as well. I, I do. So so this is from the last show we did where I talked about my 50 beers from my staff for my birthday. Um, this is one of those beers. So this is out of Vegas. This is Big Dog Brewing Company. I believe they're out of Vegas. Yes, they um, are. And so this is their peace, love, and hoppiness. So it's a pale ale, pretty standard, 6% a, uh, ABV, no IBUs listed, but um, a pretty solid pale ale, you know, not not super overpowering, but not not a lawnmower beer, for sure. And if I remember right, that one is, the can art is kind of like yeah. a tie-dye theme? It is. Yeah, it's super cool. We've had this discussion about can art, and like, I think I think it is, it is a super cool one, and like, I, um, 
I, I would say like I didn't spend a lot of time picking it. I just reached in and that's what happens when you have 50 beer, different beers in your fridge. You can just drink a different one all the time. It's a great problem to have. So there we go. When I lived in Las Vegas, that was one of the few breweries that actually had food. And oh, if okay. I remember right, that one is the oldest brewery in Las Vegas. Um, we had oh. this conversation about how craft brewing in Nevada started up in the early 90s when Great Basin out of Reno got right. started. Uh, right. Big Dogs in Las Vegas, I don't think was too far behind. And there right. used to be a tap room restaurant not far from my first place when I moved there. And we would go watch football there on Saturdays and Sundays. And cool. the food there was excellent. And in the beginning, I didn't I didn't find the beer to be that great. But when it was only like two bucks for a pint because it was more of like a, people went in there to play video poker so they could sell the beer for cheap kind of deal. Over yep. the years, the beer got better, and the uh, there was a lot more variety of their beers. So, and I still didn't, still enjoyed going there for food all the way up until the point I moved. Yeah, that they they started out originally as called Holy Cow in 1993, and then to 2002, and then they switched their name to Big Dog in 2003. And I think if I remember right, that peace, love, and happiness that you got that was their original pale ale beer, and I think it was oh, cool. called Holy Cow Pale Ale, if I remember oh, right. Funny. So. All right on. Well, hey, but we do have guests, and this is a very special episode because we have three guests. So I'm going to introduce them, and then they're going to tell us about what they're drinking. So we have Trish Schaefer on the show, um, Stephanie Keating, and Amory Dixon, my lovely wife, on the show. Say hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Okay. So so now you have to tell us what are you ladies drinking. So Trish, what do you have? Um, I'm super excited because I'm a big IPA fan, and I have something from Pizza Port. It's Swami's IPA, also known, sticking with your Halloween theme, Kyle, as Zombie Swami's <laughs> IPA. Um, and the Beer Advocate rates it with an outstanding score of 91, which I appreciate. And being a fan of my IPAs, I like them pretty hoppy. Um, so the... IBU is 72 and an ABV at 6.8. They did not go with the 666, but um, also has some fantastic can art um, if you want to check it out. And Pizza Port is out of Carlsbad, California, and I feel like they're one to watch. I've been sampling some of their stuff from time to time, and um, almost like a junior ballast point to me with some of the varietals that they're coming out with and kind of pushing some boundaries around different flavors. Uh, even from like a, I know Ballast Point has a curry um, IPA or a curry port, which is really good. But um, really like the pizza port and the Zombie Swami's IPA today is delicious. Oh, you're fitting right in on this uh, podcast yeah. here. You know your stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Stephanie, what do you got? I got coming from Lodi, California. Oh. The Golden State Haze. So, like <laughs> Trish, I'm a big IPA fan that I've been kind of dabbing in the unfiltered hazy IPAs and um, Lodi is where my boyfriend is from and so we kind of stumbled upon this brewery and it's kind of like Cheers where everybody knows your name and uh, Allie there who's one of the owners has become a good friend of ours and she always loves when Reno comes into town and we stock up on that Golden State Haze. It's a Northeast style hazy IPA with 6.0 APV and a 57 IBU. All right, right on. Yeah, we have. We might have to take a trip to Lodi. I don't know. It's on the way. It's on the way to Palm Springs. I'm just saying. 
I have to say, it's a Zen capital of America, but the brewery scene's popping up pretty strong there. Mm. Okay. The Central Valley is definitely underrated when it comes to its beer because you got that one in Lodi, you've got Dust Bowl and Turlock, and then there's some good ones around Fresno. Um, the Tioga Brewing Company out of, uh, I believe it's Clovis right by Fresno, they make a General Sherman IPA. It's really good. Shout out to Adam Juarez. That's one of his favorites there. Yep. So yeah, yeah so sure. one of these days we might just have to take a little road trip and just stop along the way through the Central Valley. Yeah, there we go. Like I said, I mean, we got to go to, we're, we're going to Palm Springs in the spring. I'm just throwing that out there. It could happen. So, yes. All right. So, Anne-Marie, what do you have? Uh, daily wages. Um, I do not, I'm not a beer girl. <laughs> I typically go for wine, but in honor of the podcast, um, daily wages is my drink today. Okay. So, so the daily wages, and I'm not sure if we, if, I think I've had that one on the podcast. I'm not sure if that's been one of my features, featured beers. So, it's a 6.7 ABV and a and a 34 IBU. Definitely, my wife is not a fan of IPAs. No, no. <laughs> if you guys and and nobody sees the video of the show, but I did give her a sip of the beer I was drinking, and she did make a very interesting face. I know you love them though, so they're very special to my heart. But I don't enjoy them. <laughs> All right, so so now we got the beers out of the way. So tell us tell us a little bit about yourselves. What is um, what are you about? And I mean, we kind of know, and, and, and what's, what's your passion? Okay, my name's Anne-Marie. Um, I'm a turnaround principal in Washoe County. Um, I've done a lot of work with Trish and Stephanie around restorative practices, um, trauma-informed learning. Um, I found as a turnaround principal that the first thing that I went in and tried to work on was academics, and I failed and found that we really needed to focus on that culture piece and making sure that the children and the staff members and everyone were taking care of themselves and feeling um, positive at the school and that we were addressing everyone's needs. Um, and I've done a lot of work with these ladies and they're just, they've been a great support. And I'm Stephanie and I am a coach in the district for kind of behavioral support. So PBIS, positive behavior intervention supports and restorative practices former teacher, and I've kind of always been in the behavior strand, whether it was a self-contained program through special education, or I worked in our alternative education where we supported students who had kind of been adjudicated either through um, community or through the school system, and then kind of getting them back into a healthy educational plan. And then I've been working with Anne-Marie and Trish on all these wonderful things. Yeah. And I'm Trish. I've sort of had an eclectic career um, from speech pathology to behavior analyst to university work and then a lot of special education time um, and then currently um, have been able to really uh, shepherd social emotional learning in our district since 2011 um, in a partnership with the collaborative for academic and social emotional learning um, and from there we've really grown and partnered with everybody looking at um, I, we also support uh, multi-tiered systems of support, which is PBIS and RTI, and then we have restorative practices, and then behavioral health and management in our district, which is supporting students with intensive behavioral needs that are in general education, um, and then also the full continuum of discipline from expulsion and suspension and placement in alternative settings. So 
I'm kind of excited to talk about this work and our partnership with Anne-Marie and the work that we've been able to do to really look at a comprehensive system of climate supports for our students and adults. Um, that's been an, it's been an interesting journey where I think we've had some successes and definitely some areas of need and growth. Well, and I think, I think we've, Kyle, we've, we've talked about this on the show. We've had multiple guests where we talk about the, we can't, we can't focus on academics until we focus on the other piece that kids have, that social emotional piece, the, the things that kids bring to school. And so, so where do you see, like your work right now, I mean, how is that, how is, how is that going within our, within the district you're working in? Like, like, where do you see that piece fitting in? Tell us a little more about that. <laughs> well, I think um, I can speak from a district level perspective. Um, and that's one of the things I love working with these two ladies is that we all, um, I think we sort of complete the puzzle, right? You have district level, building level, coach teacher level, behavior analyst level. Um, um, from a district perspective, we are seeing the needs of our students, the social emotional needs, the trauma needs, um, the behavior needs um, of our students and adults. I think it's really important to call out um, the overwhelming, not only in our district, but nationally, teachers are feeling stressed and burnt out. And one of the primary things they're calling out are student behaviors as a result of mental health and trauma issues. So um, I definitely see our district being aware um, and trying to respond, but we are definitely in a reactionary mode right now. Um, we are responding as the fires are occurring. We're still driving the proverbial fire truck mm -hmm. ambulance out to schools and trying to respond. Um, and Amory, I'd be curious too around your perspective if you feel like you're able to be in a preventative mode or you do feel like you're still, because of our limited resources, or do you feel like you're still in that sort of reactionary responsive mode? Well, I feel like it really builds upon um, just those systems. So starting with that positive behavior intervention in place and then moving on to SEL. And then we decided we really needed to focus on um, equity, diversity work, looking at those restorative practices. But even with all of those things in place that we've been doing for four years, we found that with the families that we have coming in, regardless of socioeconomics and, and with our teachers as well, that trauma piece has been just so impactful for our students and our staff. And that um, with those other areas, although there's a lot of research and things that we're doing, that trauma piece is an area that I think we still have a lot of holes in. And we need to do a lot more work in that. And I kind of sit in like a fun spot where restorative practices from that angle, everybody kind of wants it right now. So it's, it's nice to be wanted. But I spend a lot more time, I would say, restoring adults with all that's on their, their plates as teachers and educators mm -hmm. um, and helping them kind of unpack what's all in their classrooms and how they can manage that um, effectively. And I, I think you bring up a good point too that restorative practices in the way that we conceptualize it is not about discipline. Mm -hmm. It's not in lieu of suspension or expulsion. Um, in fact, we look at it through a multi-tiered system of support lens where 80% of our efforts around tier one practices, mm -hmm. building community, building relationships. And um, Stephanie and I are the, the trainers and the coach and the support. And I think our, our slogan that we say 80 times a day when we're in front of people is you can't restore a community you didn't build. 
Um, so there's very little attention placed um, in the way we approach it around discipline, but more about what can we do proactively. So I think we're sort of naturally, well, we are trying very hard to make that shift. The limited resources make it hard to shift completely from responsive or reactive to preventative. Yeah. Well, and there's so many things in the world where they talk about prevention before treatment or reaction, whatever. So if you're, if you're in the medical field, you want to prevent disease versus treat the disease. So healthy diet and, you know, quitting smoking, if you're a smoker, limiting alcohol, things of that nature. Um, wildfires were very prevalent in California in the last year or so. So the fact that there was a lot of, uh, there was a good strong winter last year, it helped prevent a lot of those wildfires. And then, well, just recently, very controversial, but PG&E in California goes and shuts off power for millions of people over the course of several days trying to prevent another wildfire and having lines snap and causing fires, which is what caused the campfire. So, And in education, it's no different. Trying to prevent a lot of this stuff from happening, it takes resources. It takes money in order to do that. And it's. I feel like we were talking about this a while back with one of our guests about how it's so hard and so stressful to react all the time. And if we could put a little bit of that energy into prevention, everybody would be a lot less stressed overall. Yeah. Do you see that? Do you, I mean, in your roles, I mean, do you see that? Is there, is there an opportunity to prevent that? Is there, is there money? Is there an incentive to, to make sure that's we're preventing it versus we're just reacting to situations that happen at schools? I would say I think we're, we're looking at how we're using resources and allocations um, to kind of build a good continuum mm -hmm. versus you can't access this resource until everything's on fire. Right. Thing. Um, and so really looking at that piece of prevention talk. And even though you might be a behavior analyst or a behavior support person, you're coming from that tier one, that community building, mm -hmm. those prevention strategies. Um, because Nobody wants to operate in that tier three mode 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They want to operate in prevention mode. So I think we're starting to really look at those things and, um, and kind of figure out how we can be more preventative oriented mm -hmm. versus I have to wait until this happens and then I can get this resource. Mm -hmm. um, I would think um, we're doing a project at my school where we're looking at partnering with outside entities because in education we cannot do it all alone. So we're talking about um, can we partner with medical? Are we able to partner with um, police? Are we able to partner with mental, more mental health care um, people that come into schools? Um, and there are people in uh, social services, there are people in outside, um, ent outside entities that interact with our kids, and we're not even aware of those interactions. So how can we partner to make sure that we're supporting our kids as a community as opposed to just the schools um, and all that? Yeah, and I think um, for educators, whether you're in a building or you're at a district, you really have to be willing to look at all of the resources that you can bring to bear, break down the silos and redefine the role and goal of those individuals. Um, if you're, because we're not going to magically have more allocations, we're not gonna magically have more money. Mm -hmm. Typically the way we get money around these things is grant funded. So it's a very intense 
shot of money for a finite too short of a period of time knowing that it takes three five seven years to Mm -hmm. make um, sustainable change so you need to really look at who all do we have in the pot and let's break it down to the the studs and redefine role and goal around how are we supporting each other and what resources are we providing and and as Anne-Marie said you need to include in that your community partnerships and redefine Mm -hmm the way in which we are able to access them and the way in which they participate with our school community. Mm. Well, and I think, I, I guess I would, I would say that like, so I know the work you're doing in our district and everything, but I mean, at a national level, do you see, is this, I know we as a district, we're pushing because we, we realize this. Do you also feel that that's happening at a national level or is this something? Yeah, I I can speak at least from, um, we have a a privilege of working with some districts, and can I name them? Yeah. Okay, so Anchorage, um, Oakland, Sacramento, Austin, Nashville, Cleveland, and Chicago. Um, We have had the privilege of working with CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic and Social Emotional Learning, since 2011, Um, not only on implementation of social emotional learning, but looking at equity, trauma-informed, culturally responsive, PBIS, how do, again, that comprehensive system of climate supports, how does all of this come together to intentionally create a climate where all students feel safe, seen, and celebrated, and we're skill building for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, I feel that within those districts, at least, that are urban and working towards, and even some of our rural partners um, within Nevada and across the country, I think everybody's grappling with the same issue. The early childhood set, um, looking at the increase, the spike in terms of mental wellness and trauma needs and behavioral needs is national. And then looking at how can we support all that we're seeing. I, I almost feel, I don't, I think it's okay to call it an epidemic right now. I really think that our country is in a place where mm-hmm polarized climate nationally, mm-hmm. and you can't ignore that that bleeds into our schools. We can't ignore that we're seeing more mental um, health needs and more trauma than we've ever seen before mm-hmm. as educators. And the conversation is the same, whether you're in Maine mm-hmm. or Arizona or Washington State or right here mm-hmm. in Nevada, right? It's, it's very prob- concerning and problematic, as is educator wellness mm-hmm. and ability to manage stress and burnout. Can anybody say from the national level when talking about just PBIS or restorative practices specifically, the conversations mm-hmm. pretty much the exact same mm-hmm. of kind of redefining what what is education now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there I'm very fortunate in my district where we also have a very strong uh, set of people that are supporting a lot of these different things. We actually just got a grant for another funded position for, we call them safe school professionals in my district, where there are social workers that are on site all day, every day. And we can refer a student to the counselor's office uh, for a variety of things. And then we also have the safe school professionals that can step in too. And they can go, they can get into some different things a lot, a little bit deeper than our standard school counselors can when it comes to various trauma or various issues like homelessness or 
um, domestic violence from home and whatnot. So we rely very heavily on those uh, people that we work with. So, and like I said, we had three in the past, but now we're up to four now because we were able to get another one and they're invaluable to everything that we're trying to do as a school. And it's especially important now because like we were saying about just the polarization that we're in right now and, and how between social media and just the 24 hour news cycle, how so much uh, just really brings to light and highlights more of this, uh, these social emotional issues and behavioral issues that were always there, but we just didn't hear as much about or know as much about before previously. In fact, I was just talking with one of my coworkers the other day about thinking about students when I was in school 20, 25 years ago or whatever, where you thought about, oh, this this kid here, they have problems at home. Dad's a drunk and hits him every now and then. And it just feels like the problems now, whether they were under wraps more back then or if just they're even worse now where now you're hearing about you know, the parents that are running a meth lab out of the house and the kids living in a camper in the backyard or something like that. And it's it's just, it's awful to hear about these things, but at least we have resources now to be able to address these things that I don't think were there 20, 25 years ago. No, I think I, and that's true. I, I think something really interesting you said was we talk about definitely our students in trauma, our students with SEL and PBIS, but also the adults that spend a lot of time with these students. I mean, I mean that's that's something I know as a building administrator, it's very upfront in, in my head and I know with Amory, it's it's upfront with you. Um, like how do you feel, do you feel that are we addressing that need? Is there is there more work we could do around those things? That is an excellent point <laughs> because there's a lot of research coming out from educators and first responders kind of going through some what's called vicarious trauma, Mm. where we're picking up the trauma from other people. And you think about all those little humans that come through schools every day and everything they bring and how could it not impact the, the teacher and the staff members. So really looking at what are our self care Mm -hmm. procedures and some self compassion, because those Mm -hmm. are two very different things. Um, and to recognize our own behaviors and what we bring into that space and realizing maybe when we might need to say time out for a minute, I need a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can really bring our best self forward and allowing that culture in a school building to, for somebody to say, I need a moment. Right. Um, and that's hard. That's hard to say, I need a moment because then you internalize that. I right. know I did. Right. I wasn't effective then if I needed a moment. Right. But um, I think putting more focus around helping adults with some self-care practices, some self-compassion, mm-hmm. their own social and emotional mm-hmm. needs can really um, be a benefit to mm. all. And we don't do enough. We could definitely do more. And I think that, you know, within my school, we really focused this year on that self-care piece and being somebody that was born in the 1970s. Um, when I first heard about self-care, I was very confused because I don't didn't know what self-care was. I'm like, what what are you talking about? And now that I really learned more about it, making sure that we focus on that um, for our teachers. We are doing a challenge right now at my school to make sure that they're doing self-care activities, um, making sure that they know that they can say when I need a break, when I'm really frustrated or I'm having a bad, a bad day. And I've even uh, reached out to Stephanie when I had had... Um, 
hard uh, conversations to have with kids and I'm emotionally attached to them, I've had her come in because she's able to help me say to that child, I'm really upset and frustrated right now. I need, I need help with um, being able to help you. So knowing when you need to ask for help, and as the building leader, it put me in a very vulnerable position, um, but I felt it was necessary. I think it modeled good practice for my teachers as well, that it's okay to say, I, I need help, I need a break, I need to take care of myself right now. Yeah, I think we need to get rid of that stigma around if you ask for help, it means you're weak. Yes. And in fact, it means you're strong, right? And that one, you're modeling good practice for your students, but two, you're going to be um, a healthier, more capable human. Absolutely. And I think as practitioners, we need to have these conversations with our students and our teachers up front so that we can, one, take the stigma of shame or weakness mm -hmm. away, but we also need to practice what it's going to look like. Um, we were just with a group of educators recently talking about how do you tap out in an intense behavioral situation mm -hmm. and what does that look like and for many of them that was a brand new concept um yet we were working with another school and they're like oh we have a code word for that it's brown which means the shit is hitting the fan and i need to get out right now and i think it's like code brown right and i love that in that there's no shame and if you can establish a culture where this is how we do business here. We recognize that every human can be triggered by different situations. Every human can have a day where they're just raw and worn down. And if you have this practice, then it becomes, I can just step away for two to five minutes and come back in and I can be present. Yes. My, you know, my amygdala isn't doing that big party dance anymore. I'm back in my you know, prefrontal cortex, I'm able to interact and be objective with this kid and not triggered and walk through the steps. And all it took was for me to do a two minute, you know, deep breath or walk or whatever, versus pushing it so far where the teacher is then coming to the administrator saying, I'm going to file a complaint. I want this kid yes. out of my room. I can't work with this kid anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think as educators, that is where we need to also that again is that that's preventative right it's working and saying you are human you're going to be triggered you're yes. going to need to step away and do yourself and our community and the student a favor and step out and here's how we're going to do that this is what you can expect from me as an administrator or a colleague here's how we'll handle that mm -hmm. and trish i think you bring up a really good point and not we stigmatize things and because behavior can be so contrived, especially when we're in professional development, we have to talk about these. You know, in the past, you may have experienced this or think of a situation where then in the moment, it's like, oh, I, what did they say in that training I was supposed to do? And then we kind of shame if we don't remember, that person doesn't remember. So kind of thinking, you know, we got to destigmatize behavior and own it for what it is. It's it's a contrived thing. It be, every be, everybody has behavior. It's yes. not like the student has behavior. We all have behavior, but how do those all interact together in harmony? And we have to practice expectations Absolutely. for students and adults. Yes. Right? It has to be predictable for adults too. Absolutely. Um, they have to know what to expect. Mm -hmm. If a student is peaking with behavior and they're not gonna, you're not going to talk to the adult or the student mm -hmm. at that time. They need to know that so they don't feel like I'm in trouble or right. something's wrong. Well, and as long as there's been sick days that where you're not penalized to take a sick day, 
there's always been the running joke that I need a mental health day. However, yeah. that's something that, that, that should be serious. I mean, based on the great points that the three of you have brought up over the last few minutes, the importance of knowing when to take a break and not being ashamed to and being supportive of others needing that break, you absolutely should every now and then, if you need that day, use one of your sick days and take a mental health day. About 10 years ago, right after my brother had passed away, I missed in the second semester, I missed 21 days over the course of, you know, 90 days of that semester. Mm -hmm. And part of it was my bereavement leave. Part of it was being legitimately sick. If I remember right, I ended up getting strep throat during that time. But there was Mm -hmm. a lot of days where I just could not handle it. And I needed to take the day and just collect myself. And it's something that if you need that, you should be able to take those days and you should be supported in taking those days as well because we're all human. And even the strongest of person uh, when it comes to their mental health needs those days as well. And there's a variety of things that can have an effect on that. It could be personal issues that are affecting that. It could be the behavior issues in the classroom. And students should take them as well. I mean, I, it's not something that you should broadcast to students because then all of a sudden they're going to take advantage of something like that and miss four days and say, oh, I was taking mental health days. You know, the parents need to be part of that process as well. But students can get overwhelmed as well. So students, if they miss a day because of a mental health day, it should be supported as well because we're all here to support each other or should all be here to support each other in our mental well-being as well as our uh, when it comes to learning and everything. You know, it would be interesting. You you brought students up, Kyle, and Oregon just recently passed some legislation around students having that ability to be like, I don't see myself coming into school today. I need a mental health day. And it'd be right. interesting to right. see what the um, data says of the benefits that that could happen. Well, and I think as I think as all of us in education have had those kids where you're like, dude, you just need to tap out like you're you're good go and i mean i i'm thinking of a student right now who i i love and i spend time with and there's times where i like just you can't do this right now and it's okay because sometimes you can't do this so so to give them that opportunity i don't think we're we're not you know i know there's people out there that'll say well they're missing instruction and all these things but it's just not going to matter because they might be in the classroom they are not going to be engaged Period. Yeah, we need to find that balance, I think, because we're, like you said, Kyle, we are all human beings. We're, we deal with human beings and with all of the legislation and all those different parameters that we have put upon us in education and that push to make sure that children are engaged and that we have that academic focus. It really just trying to find that balance, remembering that we have to remember these are little human beings. We're dealing with adults that have needs and we need to make sure that we focus first and foremost on those adult emotions and children's emotions so they can come in and do their best every day. So, sorry. And I, okay, full disclosure. I actually have food in my mouth right now, so I can't talk. (laughs) I know, I'm like, what are you doing over there? All right, this is part of the podcast, so we're leaving this in. Well, and I was looking at you you, that you had something to say, and that's why I wasn't saying anything. And what is this guy doing right now? I get it now. Yeah, no, we leave this, we leave all this stuff in the podcast. So everybody listening right now knows that I was, I was eating something while we're talking bad form for a podcast. Hey, rookie podcasters, don't eat while you do the podcast. There we go. 
So, so I think, I think that in your work, we talk a lot about, um, I, and I know as administrator and, and working in different schools where we're like, we're focused on PBIS or we're focused on SEL or we're focused on, how do you see, I mean, what I'm hearing from, from all of you is that we can't compartmentalize those things. We have to like, it's all of these things. So how do you, how do you support schools and systems to do to do all of these things because they are super they're equally i would say not one is is any more important or less important how do you how do you ensure that we're we're encompassing all that that is a big question <laughs> we're gonna need like five more yeah. i just really i'm totally biased because i may be thinking of a specific school <laughs> well and then because this is such a loaded question now you can go back to eating yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's why he asked it. Like, yeah, wow. that's why I asked it. So I, I need a snack break. break. So we'll ask a big question. Reinforced thought behavior. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I think when I work with schools and kind of help them conceptualize it, I kind of remind them that like PBIS is kind of your framework of how you're going to identify students, how you're going to make database decisions, how you're going to set up your community. And SEL and restorative is all the painting, the colors, the mm -hmm. everything that goes into it. So you imagine a picture, your PBIS is your really great, beautiful frame, and your restorative and your SEL is all the beautiful colors and the artwork that goes into the middle, but you need all of it together. Mm -hmm. And that seems to really help them. And they, I think when we try to silo it, then we have too many things going on and we don't know which one does what. So the more that we can blend it together, the better. Um, and I also just really try to remind everybody that this is all the things that are going to help us behave at our most highest potential for mm -hmm. each person, whatever that de definition is going to be, using those strategies. So if we're using PBIS to make database decisions on what students might need um, additional supports, but we're talking to them in a very affective way, and we're using the social-emotional competencies mm -hmm. to identify those supports, that's a beautiful mixture of all three together. And I think from a district perspective, um, we have a responsibility to frame it, as Stephanie said, um, we do frame everything uh, through the problem-solving mm -hmm. framework through MTSS, and that works whether you have a business or mm -hmm. you're talking about behavior, academics, mm -hmm. or attendance. But I think the reality, too, is there is a trick. There's a balance around depth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think um, as educators, we don't always have the bandwidth or the opportunity to engage in deep learning conversations or deep learning time. Um, an example of that is... Um, you need to deeply understand the equity work mm -hmm. before you start jumping and combining things, right? So as a building administrators, even as system administrators or coaches, as we guide this work, I think that's, to me, from my perspective, that's where the tension is held, that you can't whitewash equity and culturally responsive practice with SEL. Mm -hmm. You can't allow restorative practices to be reduced to something that's solely about avoiding suspensions and expulsions. Mm -hmm. um, you can't reduce PBIS to a token economy where you're like, oh, we hand out Cougar cash or whatever, so we do PBIS, which is the lowest form and, in fact, the most destructive form of mm -hmm. PBIS. So I think that's the tension as educators that we hold is that if you have the luxury or the opportunity to deeply understand all of these things, then you can begin to intertwine. I think as leaders, that's the challenge is you do have to deeply understand so that you can make sense of it all for your mm -hmm. teachers because 
what you don't want to hear ever is, well, we don't do SEL, we do PBIS, or yes. we don't do restorative because we do this, or um, I have a colleague who engages deeply in equity work, and she said, I'm super frustrated because I have a teacher who constantly tells me I'm doing this training with the staff, and it's an ongoing series, and he keeps looking at me and saying, we don't need this equity work, we do SEL, we don't need this equity work, right. we do SEL. And I think that is, um, there's sort of this utopic, like comprehensive climate assistance supports, and here's what we need to do. Um, but the challenge is in order to be able to do that well, you do have to have a deep level understanding of what that looks like and mm -hmm. how they're able to be integrated. And I think that even though you have those structures in place, knowing that it is always, it's ever changing, you're never there. You always have to reflect on what you're doing and you can have one student come into a school environment and change the the dynamics of that environment so making sure that you focus on those goals and that you let your staff know that it is absolutely okay we are going to keep doing this work it's hard work it's definitely going to pay off in the end but it is never done and we're going to have a new group of kids um some of us you know weekly or monthly or you know we and just, new staff. And all, yeah, yeah, and it's ever-changing, and we need to evolve with, with the needs of who we have uh, that show up at school on that day. Yeah, I think to your point, as you said that, what was resonating for me was if you've been an educator for more than 10 years, if you were in this work 10 years ago, it looks dramatically different mm -hmm. than it did 10 years ago mm -hmm. based on adult need and student need, not only the evolution of the fields, but what mm -hmm. we are seeing in terms of a societal need yes it is radically changed and so you do have to tend to it i would say on a, at least a quarterly basis right you've really got to look mm -hmm. at where are we and how are we doing this and what does it look like and it's messy and it's hard it, it is. is and i think through that though you also have to be a conscious consumer of what's out there because right. it is super trendy right now right right? <laughs> right and there's a lot of stuff out there that makes you go what the heck yeah. is that and we are in such a need for it that we have so much in, um, information flowing in right. that we're like oh i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this but we don't take the time to look at what's the equity of this. Right. What's the actual research behind that to see if that is effective. And then we try these little bits and pieces of things and ironically they don't work. Right. They never did. And then we're like, well, that didn't work. So we're just throwing that whole yeah. thing out. Right. Right. So we also have an ethical level to be a conscious consumer mm -hmm. all at the same time. When I think, and, and to that point, like we, our last guest, Kate Tolnai, we had a whole discussion and she's she's doing amazing work with uh, her consulting and we were I was kind of sharing with her kind of off mic about the work that that you're doing and she's like oh my gosh because she's consulting and she's like that is a huge need in the schools that she's already re that are reaching out to her just solely on academics that they're like oh yeah and then we have this other huge need around that so but but again you go back to like it's not like I just do this you have to be able to be able to do all the pieces of it. I think I think that's that's what's super important. And that's a tall ask. Yeah. On top of all the academic demands. Right. Yeah. Right. Have, and you have to be intelligent enough to make sense of it for your population, your mm -hmm. building, your district. And as Anne Marie said, it's it's not finite. It's not right. well. We did this last year, so here's what we're mm -hmm. doing. It, right. It is something that is you're constantly, you know moving through this process and revisiting this process and she talked about change in student 
And I think from a district perspective, Stephanie and I also experience, and I know you guys do too, but the change in staff right. requires such nurturing and attention where you have, you know, a, we have different buildings where there's 30 teachers who leave or a brand new administrator. Mm-hmm. Or, and that's also part of our reactive um, state is you have an administrator who's like, well, we're not going to focus on restorative anymore. We're not going to do that. So mm-hmm. I think there's also this voluntary culture component mm-hmm. that yes. is kind of the undercurrent right. of our um, ability to be preventative versus reactive. And I think if I could capture all of that back down to the very basics of what is behavior and that is a function of its environment. Right. And so building those environments to all these needs is something that has to be nurtured every day because it changes. Absolutely. Well, and all these great points you brought up, you're, you're working on it together, the three of you in your district and in the schools within your district, but you're trying to get out the message a little bit further at this point as well, mm-hmm. because from what I understand, it sounds like the three of you are going to be doing a podcast themed on a lot of these things. Yes, I, I have totally coerced them into, I'm like, you just need to do a podcast. Because this is a thing. And, and Colin and I have talked about this. We have had multiple guests that have talked about it. Like, So tell us a little about, like, what is your vision for, like, the future? For the future. <laughs> so we were talking about how are we going to um, put all of these different ideas together in a way that will make sense for district leaders, um, building leaders, teachers, support staff, parents, um, community partners. So we have these grand ideas of being able to figure out how to best support children and get community support involved and kind of change what we're doing in education to focus more on the whole child and academics are absolutely important however we want to make sure that we're developing great citizens of the world that are going to go out and do great things when they leave us in school and i think one of the things i love about the three of us so much is that we've never claimed to be experts in anything and that we're lifelong learners in this journey and we love learning with people and I think that mindset really helps when we look towards the future and what the goals we want to accomplish with with things is that mindset of we don't know all the answers and we need to continue to learn yes and explore what's out there in the world yeah and, and I think to that we're very aware of the need for the work and we're very committed and dedicated mm-hmm. to finding those answers and working with others who um, have had their own journeys and successes and needs. And um, I don't know if we've determined if we're going to review a bottle of wine or a beer. <laughs> or I think we should get down to the most important topic. Is what kind of alcohol are we going to review before we get there? But um, no, I think that we're definitely committed to talking about it. And, right. um, and also, I think providing some real um, experiences, stories, but the tangible, right? So, right. Um, when we talk about um, what is the relevance, what is the rigor, Mm -hmm. right? So something that's high quality, and then what is the instructional move? Those are criteria that we talk about when we go out to work with a school or train or provide any kind of learning. Mm -hmm. And I think the podcast would still have that same sort of tone around, we wanna make sure what we're talking about is research and evidence-based. We wanna make sure it's relevant to the listeners and then also, what is something you can actually take away and try? So whether you're, as Anne-Marie said, you know, community, parent, staff, but what's mm-hmm. something that will help you improve um, relationships in your sphere? Right. 
No, and I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's like, like, what is the takeaway from this? Because I do think, and and like Kyle and I said, we've we've had multiple guests. We've talked about this. We've had, and I think we're in the the people that we're connected with. This is a huge issue, and, it's, and I think it is something that's very relevant. And very, but people are out there like. Like Stephanie said, it's like, be a, be a cautious consumer because there's tons of stuff out there, but is it the right stuff and is it going to meet your needs? So, so I think I'm excited. I'm excited that, that you're going to do this. So Kyle, like, like Kyle and I are slowly building a podcast network. Um, <laughs> I don't know what we'll, I, I don't know what it's going to be called, but, but we're super excited that you're going to do that and, and stuff like that. So, so no, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's very relevant right now to what, what's happening in education. Absolutely. I, I, and. Uh, looking forward to the show coming out uh, down the road here. But in the meantime, before everything yeah. takes off, where can we find you online? How can we connect with you outside of that? Anne-Marie, why don't you start? Okay. I am on Twitter. Yes. Okay. And, okay. Kyle, I don't have my handle. I'm not <laughs> I just don't have that readily available. But ben, Ben's going to tag me in all of his social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um and my school, Elmcrest Elementary School, is on there as well. Ben, will you tag all of us in your social media? Yes. Okay. Yes, I will. Yes, yeah, I will. Same thing. Um, and I think if we could just bring our voice to destigmatize behavior and mental yeah. health, I think that's something that is a near and dear to all of our hearts and kind of our missions. Let's start talking about this. Yes. And bringing this up and breaking that down. Yeah, and if Ben's gonna tag us, yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna put we're gonna put all this stuff in this in in our show notes and um slow and I I think I am super excited because I think um in talking to these three amazing educators I I I do think there's a need for their podcast I do think there's a need for a social media presence about these topics um and and talking about these things so I think I think I'm looking forward to to more stuff coming out and 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 really like the work you're doing is super valuable. I mean, I, I just know, I know having experienced it as an administrator in my own building, um, previous, my previous building, and then thinking about the building that I'm currently in and the students I work with. I mean, there's, there's sometimes, and I'll just say this, there's sometimes there's this idea that like, well, kids in, and, and insert the quote in here, poverty or, or these things, they have these needs. No, this is like a, all kids, all families, yes. all adults, we have these needs. And until we start addressing these needs, like like academics, we're not going to get where we need to be until we address this as a society. Absolutely. So, right. well, thank you, ladies, so much yep. for joining us here today. Um, we want to respect your time. We are in a little bit of a time crunch here. So, um, we this is normally where we would have you stick around and learn a little bit about beer, but again, we understand that you've got some things to do here today. So, yep. uh, listeners, stick around for a few more minutes. Ben and I will be right back with this week's learn about segment. Oh yeah, check it out. Oh, it was super awesome, Kyle, to have those three amazing ladies on the show. Um, looking forward to uh, seeing what they're going to produce. Really Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was awesome. I, I was really yeah. glad that we were able to have them come on and uh, took a little while to get that one set up, yeah. had some snafus, but finally got it. And that was uh, that was definitely worth it. 
yeah, it was. De- it's definitely going to be a good one. I'm, I'm looking forward to what they their their plan for their podcast and everything. But hey, if you want to keep the conversation going and and on all the topics that we talked about, and maybe share some of your thoughts on on today's topics, please email us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us using the hashtag beeredupod. Hit us up on our Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at the Beer Edu Pod. That's that's kind of the fun one where we we post some of the beers we're having, and then you definitely can follow um, those three amazing educators, Amory, Stephanie, and Trish, um, on Twitter and Instagram. Stephanie is on Instagram at s keating sixteen. Amory is on a m r dixon n v. And you can find Trish on Twitter at Trish Schaefer. We'll have all those, uh, their handles in the notes for the show. And then you can also send us a voice message using the Anchor app. And then definitely please leave us a review on iTunes um, or wherever you uh, listen to this podcast. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So, And then if you want to be a guest on the show with us, go to our website, beeredupodcast.com. Click on the contact and subscription info link and then we have a guest form there that you can complete and we'll be in contact with you so we can get you on the show and you can share your passions and have a beer with us yeah for sure so joe definitely hit us up on all of those and now it's the part of the show where we're gonna we're gonna do a little more learning but this time we're gonna learn about beer and kyle you have a very interesting one yeah and it's not one that we featured on the show today like we tend to do sometimes it's it was more of a thought that we had because of the time of the year it is and how stouts are coming back into season with the fall weather and the the winter coming up and everything. And uh, I was uh, thinking a little bit about what is an oatmeal stout? Uh, It's an interesting uh, sounding concept if you don't know uh, your craft beer very well. So uh, basically what it is, we've talked about stouts on the show before, darker beers that tend to have uh, rich coffee and chocolate flavors uh, Mm -hmm. from heavily roasted malts. Um, this is one, it's very similar. You got the heavily roasted malts. You get a lot of those chocolate coffee flavors, but they use an up to 30% adjunct of oatmeal in the mash wow. along with the barley. And it's something that when, when you hear about beers with adjuncts, um, it's usually kind of a derogatory thing, especially with your large American macro brewers, where they are talking about how, our beer is only these ingredients, and one of those ingredients is rice. And I'm one of those snobs that kind of turns my nose up at that. Yeah, um, yeah. me too. I will, I will totally own that. Yeah, so um, do, doesn't mean I won't have one every now and then. Um, can't tell you the last time I had a large American macro. But uh, but with these ones, this adjunct here, um, this one isn't necessarily used to uh, make it cheaper to produce the beer or to... Mm-hmm do anything with the flavors because a lot of times with the adjunct lagers what they'll do is uh that rice or what or corn syrup or whatever that's used to sweeten it up a little bit whereas with the oatmeal um first of all this was something that was actually kind of common for a long time um where because oats were more readily available than your barley was Mm -hmm. and um something i found very interesting was that when they used a really high percentage of oats it made it a more bitter and more astringent tasting beer. And this was something that in the early um, centuries of the millennium, that was some, that oats was something that was used quite a bit. By the 1500s, most uh, people that were brewing weren't using oats anymore. But it okay. started to make a little bit of a comeback in the late 1800s when 
Um, we've seen these ads before for different things. Uh, Coca-Cola that originally was made with coca leaves and had yes. pain relieving properties or <laughs> there was um, you could buy like um, cocaine drops for toothaches and you know heroin was prescribed by uh, doctors and different things so like stuff that we look back now and say are you freaking kidding me but yeah. um, back in the during that time the late 1800s oats were th- was something that was considered very healthy and it still is yes. you know oatmeal right. If you want to lower cholesterol, eat oatmeal. That is very true. And yes. oats was started, they started to use it in beer again because they were trying to tout beer as being something that had health benefits to it. So, ah. and if you drink this oat beer or this porridge beer, is what okay. they sometimes called it, you were going to be healthier. So, which, um, huh. you know, hey, it, give me a beer that's okay. going to make me healthier. Okay, I'm go. all over that. Yeah. You never know. It, it might lower your cholesterol. Absolutely. So, um, the oatmeal stout, though, really is kind of taken off. I mean, not, not, it's not mm-hmm. super common. It's not like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the next IPA by any means. But right. they've started to make a little bit of comeback in recent years. Brewers are starting to um, have oatmeal stouts as part of their selection. Uh, right. First thing, first question a lot of people ask, does it taste like oatmeal? No. Yeah. Okay, it does no. not taste like oatmeal. What the oats do is that it makes the beer smoother and it's got it gives it a bit of a creaminess because... Oats have a high content of protein and lipids or fats, um, you can say. And what that does, it imparts into the beer. Um, it increases the viscosity or, in other words, thickens the beer a little bit more. So right. these beers, one of my favorites of all times is, well, there's Samuel Smith's Oatmeal Stout out of England. Oh, yeah. And then right. Tanea Creek's Hauling Oats, which okay. is a very clever name on top of that. Yes. Um, both of those beers... Again, very rich chocolate and coffee flavors, right. but then it has that creaminess. It's just oh, they're so good. Yeah, the, I've had the Samuel Smith one. That is that is like a. I almost want to say that's like the, the bar. I guess I, that's the one I always see. I guess I should say. And I would common. say that's probably the one that if you've ever had an oatmeal stout and didn't know it, that might be the one you've had. And right. that, that one's relatively common, even here in the states. And then, like I said, Tanea Creek out of Las oh. Vegas had their has their hauling oats. Right. Um, and then they take that one if you go get it uh, at the brewery. It's always on nitro, so then Ooh. it's like the cream factor oh, all, all over again. Yeah. I I prefer it on the CO two from them because I feel okay. like the CO two hides some of the flavors. Um, okay. And then I used to love it in the bottle in the can, but I'm not even right. sure they bottle or can that beer anymore. I think it's just at the okay. brewery. Another right. one that maybe you've had. Um, you're a fan of the Ninkasi Brewery. Yes, and they make I one called. Yeah, they've had they've got their Otis oatmeal yep. stout, um, one of my favorites, um, both because they're great and because of the name. <laughs> Anderson, Anderson Valley, they have their yeah. Barney Flats oatmeal stout, okay, which is really good. And then I had this one a few years ago, and I ranked it very highly and untapped. I can't okay. say I remember it, but there's a I believe the original brewery is it's either in Denmark or the Netherlands. But oh, it's okay. and I think it's pronounced My Keller or Me Keller, but okay. they have a San Diego brewery now. But they make one oh. called Beer Geek Breakfast. Oh, huh? I've never, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it's one that, like I said, I don't think I've even seen it since I right. had it. Um, I right. believe I'd have to go back and check my untapped uh, check-in for it. But I think it was a guest tap at Tanea Creek down in Las Vegas oh, a few years ago. Right, right, right. They right. used to. 
they used to have like 20 beers on, on a rotation there, but they right. expanded their own beers, so they don't have as many guest taps anymore. But I remember ranking that one very highly, but again, it was so oh, long ago, cool. I don't really remember it. <laughs> All right, well, hey, that that's definitely one I'm going to have to look for. And I'm sure there's way more out there that if people know, hit us up you know, on Twitter and, and Instagram. Let us yeah. know which other ones there are. Yeah, I think a lot of the bigger craft brewers out there, like your Goose Islands and your Founders right. and your um your victory out of uh, Pennsylvania and a lot of right. those I they probably all do have an oatmeal stout or at okay. least have one for part of the year so they're right. definitely out there but again they're not the new IPA by any means right it is it is definitely a I would say a, a more specialty beer right in my opinion and I've also seen there are some brewers that may have made IPAs where they add a little bit of oatmeal yeah, I, I've seen that. And I, I can't say I've ever tried one of those, but I've seen some cross yeah, some some crosses between an IPA and a and a and a I guess yeah, an oatmeal stout. I'd have and to remember who I said. I can imagine that if you're I'm not sure if I've ever had an oatmeal IPA either. I could imagine if if that's what there really is out there that it's kind of like that milkshake IPA, but instead of the yeah. lactose, it's the oatmeal. And then right. you're not going to get the sweetness like you do with a milkshake no. IPA. I, I just, I'm, I'm curious about that. I would like to try one. Cause I just feel like almost those two styles would be competing against each other. Yeah. Where you, you got the, the hoppiness of the yeah. IPA and then the right. smoothness of smoothness. the oatmeal where that smoothness might knock out the IBUs a that's little bit cool. and the bitterness. And that's so. what I'm wondering. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Well, we'll have to look for one. Yeah, so I, I guess the only way to know is if we try it, right? Yeah, there we go. So There we go. Well, awesome. So, yeah, that's that's Oatmeal Stout. So, um, cool. One thing, I do want to put this out there to anybody that's listening, that if there's any style or beer info that you would like yes. for us to feature, get a hold of us. Drop us a message on any of the social media apps yep. or email or anything because we would love to feature whatever you're looking yeah. out for. And frankly, there's just some times where you and I, we talk about these things like, what do you want to do today? And we struggle sometimes. Right. Yeah. Well, we've done quite a few. We're, we're, we're at 46 episodes, so we've done a quite a bit of learnabouts. And I'm sure there's lots of stuff we haven't even thought about. So definitely, yeah, if you're out there, you're listening, please hit us up and tell us, tell us what you'd like to learn more about. Or if you have a, a passion or something that you'd like us to share definitely share with us. Yeah, I think we're in um, line for another history of a brewer. Uh, uh, that could soon. be, yes. Yes, I think so, we might have to do that. Yeah, maybe cool. possibly a beer that we don't get around here, but uh, uh, the history yes. of Yingling. That, oh, we could do that. That that might I be one because they're allegedly the oldest still yes. operating brewer in mm-hmm. the United States. So I think Very that true. we might have to talk about them. So. That's uh, a possibility. Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, so we hey, got next up. We got episode forty-seven after this. Yes, we do. So next episode's coming up forty-seven. Uh, definitely like to thank Amory and Trish and Stephanie for being on the show. For sure. Um, and uh, yeah, look forward to episode forty-seven coming out next. Yep, and uh, we um, we're not going to give anything away yet, but we have yep. started uh, planning a very special fiftieth episode and yes. uh you're you're gonna really like it uh the yeah. what we've got planned out here so um that's coming up here in just a few weeks we're probably yep. only about a month away from that one coming yep. yeah definitely that's gonna be a good one don't, that's a that's gonna be a don't miss absolutely so well ben and listeners until next time may the malts and the hops be with you right on mm-hmm.